Welcome back to another episode of uh, Gang Grow Retain. For today, I've got Steve Hopkins, who is the Chief Customer Success Officer at CompuSoft Group, and he's coming to us uh, live across the pond right now. So, uh, Steve, you know, appreciate you hopping on, especially on a we're recording this on a Friday. It's uh, in the midst of summer, so you know, I appreciate you uh, taking some time to do this. Probably when you're looking to get your your weekend started. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. No, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. This is a great way to start today. So appreciate you having me on and having the time. I like it. Well, um, I always like to start off with a couple of fun questions uh, that I don't prepare you for. So, um, you know, I think one right off the bat, you know, given that you're uh, you're over in the mecca of, uh, of football, uh, who is your uh, who's your football club? You know, who, who have you watched since you've been uh, kind of growing up? Man, yeah, good question. Uh, so I'm, I'll have to unfortunately say I'm a Manchester United follower, if that, if I could claim to be one, but really that's just because when I was a kid in Australia, somebody bought me a Manchester United top, and so that was it. That, that's all it takes when you're like seven or eight years old or something. Uh, so I guess that's got to be my answer, which is slightly, I think, I don't know, I'm just not sure yet uh, how, to, how to play that. And uh, I guess, look, in terms of player or whatever, uh, I don't know. But I've, been, I've really enjoyed watching the Euros here the last the last month. I've just wrapped up. That was that was pretty big here, and uh, England got all the way through. And um, yeah, really enjoyed watching them. Uh, really sort of enjoyed and was terrorised by watching Jordan Pickford, their goalkeeper, play. He kind of <laughs> equal parts terrified and enthralled me. So <laughs> he maybe gets my my vote. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, that that's fun. I uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, I I love soccer. I've watched the or football, you know, whichever term you want to go with. Um, and uh, yeah, enjoyed watching the Euros. I had a bunch of friends over for the final on Sunday to watch, and uh, okay. I can agree. I've I've, I've been a big Premier League fan. I'm a Manchester United fan. I'm a typical American, you know, Manchester United fan. And uh, but watching Jordan Pickford is very nerve wracking because his decision making at times you're kind of like he he makes a great save, but then like a minute later he gives the ball up and like throws it to the other team and you're like whoa, whoa, whoa like what's happening here so oh, man it's terrifying yeah absolutely terrifying I and mean, then he makes these pulls off these great saves sometimes and yeah anyway you got it you got it. uh well the second question i want to uh you know dive into before we get into the the real hard-hitting stuff is uh so you know if you're going to go on a on a beach vacation if you're going to go you know spend some time in the sun getting rays are you are you a lay in the, you know, lay out in the sun with a book kind of person? Are you, uh, you know, walking on the beach? Are you active playing a, some sort of sport or game? You know, what's your, what, how do you operate when you're going on kind of a, a beach vacation? Like what's the uh, modus operandi for you? Yeah, uh, definitely some sort of game or some sort of, yeah, fun activity to do. Uh, yeah, I've got three kids, so that is pretty easily taken care of now. When it's <laughs> yeah. That's the game. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I always joke with my wife. Um, I'm, I'm very, I can go either direction, you know, I'm very content to kind of read a book and kind of sit there or I'm, you know, let's go play a game. Let's do something. Um, and I always just joke with my wife. Cause you know, we, uh, when we talk about going on these vacations, she's, you know, talking about relaxing, talking about, you know, uh, laying back. And then as soon as we get there and within about five minutes of her reading her book, she's normally kind of getting antsy. She's like, Hey, can we play a game? Can we do something? So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's always fun. For yeah. One of my, like growing up, maybe sort of weirdly talking about Jordan Pickford again, but I, uh, I was a goalkeeper. I uh, played field hockey growing up. I was a goalkeeper. So I used to get my friends, my old man, whatever, we went to the beach to, to just 
we would stand in, it was in the bay, so it wasn't like big waves, but I'd just stand in the water and they would peg balls that would throw balls at me very hard and skim them off the waves and I would sort of dive around trying to save them. So that was my like go-to game at a beach growing up. Uh, that was sort of how I did it. So I love it. Yeah. I remember doing doing that too. We used to have uh we used to have a couple of um uh, balls like that when we were growing up that you skip off the skip off the water, skim skim the surface. Uh, awesome. Well uh, I know, you know, one of the things that we were chatting about kind of before we hopped in here was just, you know, how, how customer success leaders are thinking about capacity planning and org design. Um, you know, I think again, it's something that is, uh, coming kind of with the maturation of, uh, the customer success profession, you know, I think sales and marketing, um, have gotten really formulaic, right. It's kind of in the sales world. It's very, Hey, you kind of give me an extra person. I already know their quota. I know what they can achieve. I know what they can obtain. And it becomes really, um, really numeric, right? And, and really straightforward. I feel like at least uh, compared to what happens in customer success. So I'm excited to dive into this today because I think a lot of people um, go through this process or trying to find ways to to make it um, you know, an easier process. But when you think about kind of capacity planning and org design, uh, what's where's the place that you start? Like, what's the thing that you're thinking about um, as you kind of go in and, and even start thinking about uh, that challenge, that problem? Yeah, I... Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I, I sort of, I think, I think that's actually a really good intro. Like you're right. Like when you're looking at folks in sales or, or many of the other kind of like disciplines that are facing the customer, they've often really thought this through. They've got that predictable answer. They kind of understand their model and they, they really get it. So I, I would just start simply by saying, if, if you just think from a financial perspective, and if we sort of think about kind of, the world of like technology startups, perhaps in, just to sort of limit our scope, because uh, I know most customer success professionals are in that world. So maybe most of my advice today or thoughts will kind of center on that. But if you just think from a financial perspective, like the, the investment that the business is making in customer success is, is employees. There's almost no cash investment that, that's really taking place. Yes, we buy some systems, you know, we've got some subscriptions there to sort of look after, but by and large, the majority of that investment is a people cost. And so if you're a customer success leader, that's your only level. <laughs> that's it. That's all you get to pull, really. And sure, you get to, like, look at all the processes and playbooks and technology that those people use. But, like, at the end of the day, the thing that you're using to, to, move, to move closer towards your objectives are people. Um, and so I kind of just always... Uh, it's one of those topics, I think, that it, it, because of that, it kind of seems to me to not get as much discussion as it warrants because at the end of the day, I think most customer success teams are running reasonably effectively. People are putting in reasonable processes. You, like the big the big lever, the big thing that can really help you have a step change is like arguing for, for more people or getting more investment basically from the business. So I kind of think, I think from there, that's probably where I start, that it's the biggest lever you have to pull because that's... That's it. That's all the cost is. Yeah. I mean, and I think too, like that's the, the thing to call out, right? It is the biggest cost. I mean, at the end of the day, right? When you, you think about that, um, the investment that they're going to make in the, the human capital. Um, and I just like the way you articulate that though, right? I mean, I think it, we can't shy away from that. Again, like there's 
there's the opportunity to look at tools and systems that are only going to, they're going to help, right? They're going to augment some yeah. things. Um, you're going to look internally and say, hey, can I, can I kind of dotted line a resource here or there to, to help, you know, curb some things that we're doing? But by and large, um, I, but I like the reason the way you said that, because then where my mind naturally starts to go and becomes curious is, okay, if I'm, if I'm looking at adding kind of a, a human capital investment into the customer success organization, now my mind starts going, okay, what are, where are they most appropriate, right? Where are they going to make impact? And I think in the, a lot of times, I think people just start thinking about stacking CSM resources and they just kind of say, okay, I'm just going to get one more CSM. And that means my uh, CSM to account ratio is going to drop, you know, so now instead of handling 500, they're all going to handle 400. Right. And, and, um, but I think what the way I'm taking what the way your perspective is, is like, Hey, if we know that human capital investment is going to be our largest area, then that also means that we need to be, be making the case and be making sure that we're putting those um, resources in the right areas to make the biggest impact for the customer and for us as a business. Um, and so I like that. So how, how do you kind of think about that next step of saying, okay, you know, I'm kind of understanding that human capital is going to be the big cost expense and the lever that I have. So how do you start kind of putting the pieces together? Okay, where do I put those people and how do we make the, the biggest bang for our buck? Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. It, um, so I think the, I think that's sort of like starting from that position gets you into that mode where you are kind of thinking as you say, like, okay, what where is the biggest bang for buck going to be? I think then it, it, it instantly kind of forces you as a leader to ask yourself the question, well, okay, like what's my strategy? <laughs> like what does good look like here? Like what am I... What am I doing? What does the business need me to do? Like, what, what are the areas that I've got to focus on? And I think, yeah, as you say, like, look, at some element, there is just a reality to CS capacity of resource planning, that it is kind of like account numbers, Bob, you know, book of business kind of revenue numbers. At some level, that's true. But I think if you're going about it the way you're kind of talking about it, and also the way I kind of try to think about it now, it's very much more about what's the what's in the business plan you know like what is the business kind of calling out that we've got to go and achieve and then how am i you know how am i best going to do that you know if i've got three people to go hire or 30 people to go hire or 300 people to go hire frankly like how am i how am i going to use them i'll give you a good example um one of the things i think microsoft got really right on its customer success stuff and i don't even think these people or the team i'm about to mention were called customer success but it was definitely in that in that direction, right? Is when I was so I was at Microsoft by way of uh, a company called Yammer being acquired about um, eight or nine years ago. I stayed at Microsoft for four or five years. I loved it, and I, that's what brought me over to San Francisco. And when we were in San Francisco, I guess this is about five years ago, six years ago, a bit longer. Uh, Microsoft was really ramping into its Office 365 migration to cloud and moving all of its customers over to Office 365. And it was tough, you know, like anybody out there knows what that's like, like migrating customers to the cloud. I think most customer success people now have had the scars on their back of those sorts of migrations. Um, it's really hard. So in the engineering group, uh, um, they basically decided to take control because it had sort of gone on for about 12 or 18 months and like customers were getting an okay experience, but it just wasn't happening fast enough. So Microsoft, and, you know, I'll share numbers here. I'm not like, but it's kind of subjective. I was close enough to have some sense of how big the investment was, but like, I don't know exacts. So I guess 
take that, take it with a grain of salt. But they basically invested in hundreds, I think four or 500 might have been the number, it could have been more, four or 500 people that were like migration engineers. And these people would just, they would ring, you're a Microsoft Office 365 customer, they would ring you up and they were your person. They were assigned to you to get you across to the cloud, right? So right away, if you're just looking at your strategy, if you're looking, if you're sitting down, you're going, right, we've got to build these customers over to the cloud. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Like that's your big problem to solve. That's the big thing the company's got to go off and achieve that year. And then you think, okay, cool. Well, how much do I trust my processes? How much does that work? I feel like we've got pretty good traction on these things. But at some level, it just becomes... How many people am I going to need to move the needle on that? And yeah, you know, credit credit is due to them. Like they just backed up, they backed up the bus. They said, right, we're just gonna, we're not gonna stop around. Like here's 400 people to go solve. Um, and it worked. I mean, look at the, you know, look, there's a lot of other things that you run. Obviously, it's kind of easy to say, look at how well it worked. Yeah. But, you know, but now, like Office 365 and Microsoft in general has really performed incredibly well the last six years. And um, I think just that that rational viewpoint on that, like what's our strategy? What's the biggest thing we've got to do in the business? And then what, you know, how many people do we need to go off and do that properly? It sounds so easy, but most orgs, most people I talk to, it's, it's confusing. There's not clarity on it. There's not alignment on it. So you never get that kind of massive effect. And so you get, tend to just sprinkle resources across everyone because no one really wants to make the hard call to say, we're going this way. Here's the people go get it done. Yeah. I love, love that example though, because it, again, it, it kind of asks yourself when you look at that, right. They, I would imagine, right. That, like you said, there's probably a ton of business cases and there's a, probably a ton of metrics and things that they looked at behind this. But if I had to kind of look from the outside, I think they're probably looking at that saying, Hey, there's probably a hundreds of millions, billions. I don't know what the, the number would be. Right. But, but like, when we look at the opportunity of shifting these customers over to a cloud-based model where we can start looking at subscriptions and then their growth over time, right? Like it's worth us to make that four or 500 person investment now. Um, even if it's all kind of, like you said, even if it's all human capital driven and we don't, you know, we can look at in process improvement, we can look at this, but really those are small incremental changes. Can we just go do the big bang, get it done. And now look at all the, the kind of the opportunity we have on the backside. And I, I love that though, because I think a a lot of times, like you were saying, right, we're looking at small changes here or there. Hey, if I change this process, that's really probably going to only impact a percent of a percent. Um, it's going to be a small, but it, you know, that feels great. But can we start looking at the bigger problems and saying, hey, I don't want to impact just a hundred customers. I want to impact a thousand customers. And if I, if I do that, then what does it mean? What does it do? But just asking yourself that question. Um, and I love, you know, the other thing that just comes to mind as well. And, um, you know, I'll give credit to Jay. Um, I've worked with Jay for a long time now. He's, you know, a business partner. Now he's our chief customer officer. And um, he does a really good job of kind of looking at scenarios, right? He's, he's thinking years ahead, right? He's saying, Hey, we're going to be this big or this uh, we're going to, you know, this is where we're going. Right. And then, but then he kind of steps it back and says, okay, if that's where we're going and here's what we need to look like when we're there, what are the, what, are, what does the midterm look like? And what's the short-term look like? Because we can't just overnight get there. Um, and so I think that's, you know, to your point as well is, I mean, you have to be as a leader of the organization, right. You're being, you're being paid to, to work in the here and now, but really think in the future and start planning about where to go. Yeah, actually that's a, it's um yeah, that's a great example, and and uh, I love that Jay Sam does that, and it's it's something I I do and have done too, right? Like I literally will, 
with my people in the past or my leaders, I've sat down with them and kind of drawn on a whiteboard, like, okay, here's year one, <laughs> here's what year two looks like, here's what year three looks like, you know, is, is the shape of our org going to hold? And I think what I really loved about that example is like, as a leader, you're, you're, often, um, you're often being asked what's going to change, what's going to look different, what difference are you going to create, what, you know, what, what thing are you going to come in and transform, right? Like often that's when we take these leadership roles, that's kind of the mandate. But um, I love there's this like there's this Jeff Bezos quote where he says basically he wishes people would ask him what won't change, and he talks about how like at Amazon there's a lot of stuff that does change, but he wishes people would ask him what wouldn't because the things that haven't changed or what or won't will never change are kind of like just things that they just never will move on. And so he kind of jokes about how you know no customer is ever going to come to him and say, hey Jeff, I love Amazon, but you know, I really wish you could send me my stuff slower. <laughs> and like, <laughs> hey, Jeff, like I love Amazon, but I, I really wish you had less things. I want you to have less things so I have less choice. Like these are just things that won't change, right? Like, and so equally as, an, as a leader, as an executive, they're the things you want to build your org around. You, you're, you know, you want to build your team and your strategy around the things that aren't going to shift in time. And then you can, on a whiteboard, kind of like, look at year three, year four, year five, because you know, ah, those things aren't going to go anywhere. Like we can kind of like really put a beachhead in there today and make sure that all runs right, processes are right, tech's right, all that stuff. But then we know that if we succeed and grow at the pace the business is growing, we're going to be here in, you know, three years' time. That team will be 20 people big at that point, you know, across these countries because we're, you know, geography is often one of those things that won't change. Most companies don't come to me and say, yeah, yeah, we're pulling out of all these markets. Like in technology startups, it's, we're expanding into those markets. So, you know, just being really cognizant of that and, and how you're kind of making your investments, I think, really helps. Yeah. Well, uh, another thing that this just kind of brings up for me too, I, I kind of joke, I think I've said this before, probably on the podcast or even in just like some of our office hour stuff is uh, I used to, it, early in my career, right? Uh, I used to think at the beginning of the year, we do uh, kind of budgets and planning and we do all this stuff. And then we kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of executing throughout the year. And um, it just never really occurred to me how malleable and how flexible those things actually are. Right. You, you kind of think when you're an individual contributor, a lot of times you're kind of like, Oh, our budget is set in stone for the year. Our, our plan is set in stone, our goal. And we just kind of, of go, right. It's just kind of, when you're first in there, you're just kind of doing, 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 you're not really um, maybe in that mode mindset or mode of operation. So, um, you know, I think one of the things that I've had to learn, and I think you, you hit on this earlier, and this is where I was curious if you have a story or if you, you, you know, got into your scenarios that you can think of, but um, you have to go build the business case and kind of be persuasive to the other executives, to the finance leader, uh, to the CEO, whoever it is that you're really going to make this pitch to. Right. But I mean, you really have to, um, again, I think we talked about marketing and sales. I've really gotten formulaic and it's a little harder for, for customer success, but that doesn't mean you can't not try and do it. Like it doesn't mean you can't, you know, not put the business case together. Like there still has to be kind of a scenario planning of, Hey, what's the, what's the opportunity ahead of us? Um, what, what are some of the situations that we can see? Okay. We want to add headcount. What's that really going to do for us? What do we, what's the hypothesis? But I think this whole idea of building the business case, thinking about hypotheses, um, I always joke that it's just like, it's so used in science, right? Where it's like, oh, we have a hypothesis, we run a test, and then we we kind of figure out what went right, what went wrong. Uh, but for yeah. some reason, th that verbiage and that kind of um, testing and iteration isn't 
widely uh, used in, in, in terms of uh, some of this. So I'm just curious if, if that comes to mind or if you have a, a scenario or situation that you've kind of gone through, you're like, hey, I've, yeah. I've had to go do this and put this together. Yeah, no, I, there's, a, there's a bunch of things I want to share on that. So I think the first thing I would say is, you know, that classical, I don't even know who said it, but it's that old saying of like, you know, if we have data, let's use data. If we have opinions, let's go with mine. So I think the first thing you've got to do, like whenever you're having any of these things, you have to have data. Like even if your pitch is very subjective and very kind of like rooted in, well, I just talk to the customers all day and I know that they want this, right? Like even if that's where you're starting, you, you must, must, must bring data to the table to back that up with, you know, turn it into data, turn your insight into data. And I think that's, I, I do a lot of coaching or mentoring of customer success folks in the various programs that are out there and, and not thinking even any of, in any one individual, like almost every conversation ends up sort of with me saying something like, do you have a model? Do you have like a model, something in Excel, where you've built up like, you know, months of the year and like how much revenue is going to be coming in, the kind of key drivers of like, you know, a customer success team or a support team for that matter too. And do you have like basically your assumptions about when you need new people built in there? And I think the mistake a lot of people make is they go into those pitches or those conversations with people that are, are holding the budget purse strings and they have a subjective conversation and they're not really able, they don't, they don't center the conversation on a model. They center the conversation on, oh, I need another head or I need one more head in New York or in San Francisco or in, you know, like Sweden. I need, I need a hire there. And I think the trick is to actually get ahead of that and have a conversation where you agree on a model that you're going to use to decide when you hire. And um, that's something I, I did it, I've done here at CompuSoft. Um, you know, the first thing I did basically when I started um, was actually in a, in a customer support sense we sat down, we worked with our finance team, we were collaborating on it together. We built out this model that really got the support team together to kind of say, hey, here's what good looks like. Here's how we try to like, here's how many calls we try to do and like what a good call looks like and how that all works. The finance team were able to pull that together with salary information and kind of, you know, the bigger picture. And we were able to sort of build out this kind of like this model that showed actually we were, we were, we were slightly under-resourced where we wanted to be. And the support we wanted to be providing and so end of story we went and invested and, and, and brought that forward you know so i think i think the fact that we agreed on the model it just removes the overhead from having to like go and curry favor and kind of play politics a bit and just sort of go ah can you give me a head count so i think that that'd be the first thing i'd say um the thing i want to quickly follow up and maybe just mention briefly briefly and then kind of like I'll, I'll kind of stop talking but um i think the other um uh, the other, I've sort of lost it. <laughs> I've lost it. I've lost my thought. But, oh, it's all right. It happens to the best of us. I've got it. It's back. So the other mistake I see people make, and I myself have made heaps, and it's not really until recently in my career, frankly, the last few years that I've really understood this better. Like hiring is not one of those things that's often like yes, no. Often it's when. And so if like as you say, right, like budgets are kind of like set in stone in some ways, but they're also very malleable when you get into the year. And often the lever is like when. And so as, as a leader, but also actually if you're a manager or a frontline manager or you're kind of further down the pecking order where you don't maybe have as much control over your hiring budget, 
there is nothing stopping you from going and talking to one of your peers and saying, hey, I see you've, <laughs> I see you've got a headcount slated for June. I really need one, someone for June now. And I don't know if you do. Like, can you, three months, can we do a swap? I've got this one sitting out in December or, you know, I've got one. And I just, I would love to see more teams actually do, like as a, you know, I guess as a executive now or whatever, like if a team came to me and said to me like, hey, we need a headcount, but I've already organized with, you know, with Jeff over there, that like we've solved this problem and, you know, we've looked at the model that we've built as a team together and we've agreed that we're going to like do this instead of that and move that forward. I'm kind of like, yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. So I, think often, I think often we kind of look up and want the higher ups to make the decision. And I think there's actually a lot of negotiating and decision-making you can do it at your peer group level that often just doesn't happen. Um, in most teams I've seen, at least in the past. So. Oh my gosh. So many good things that I feel like we can jump into. So first, love the point that you called out about kind of building the model alongside of the finance, your finance counterpart, right? Like getting there by, like, I think a lot of times people, it's hard to get started, right? Especially if you're new in the leadership role, if you haven't really done it before, you're kind of sitting there and you can go, you can kind of go pull somebody else's model and try and put, make it your own. But it's just, it's really hard to start and get momentum. But I always find it, if you can go, you know, work with the finance counterpart and kind of be like, Hey, I've got assumptions. I have data. I've got all these things. Right. And I'm trying to build this case. What, cause at the end of the day, it needs to speak to them most, right. Cause they're the ones who are going to have to essentially fold this into their roadmap and their planning. And so it's kind of like, Hey, I've got kind of all these things. Like, can we, can we work together to figure out, okay, what's the right way that I can take this and present it in a way that's going to be impactful for you. And if you can get them bought in from doing that, because at the end of the day too, the, what I've found, at least the reason that they are going to say yes and jump into that is like, it's going to create less headaches for them. Right. Cause oh, if you, yeah. if you go down a path and you develop something and you get buy-in for it and then you present it to them and they're just kind of like, well, great. Now I have to go do a ton of work to actually go do all these other things that you didn't do as part of this initial planning. Like that's where you kind of get in trouble. So I love that point because I think again, just, you know, just what you were saying, like, you kind of can't sit and wait for things to happen for you um, as a leader in the organization. You kind of have to go make things happen on your own and going to develop that, have the conversation, just getting the wherewithal too of where, where are we with the budget? What does that look like? Right? Like, you know, you don't have to kind of wait as a leader in the organization. You're, you're not paid to wait. I think is the the thing I'm trying to say is it's just like, you need to go make things happen yourself. Yeah. And a, and a quick like point on that too, is that once you've done that work, and as you're kind of saying, right, like you've got, you've, you've done that work, you've collaborated to get that work, and you're right, like people doing work like that is, can be tough to like get that prioritised or whatever. But once you've got it, as a leader, as a manager, and like I'm using that term, but if you're a you know, frontline manager all the way up, like carry that thing around. And so if you're, you're in meetings or any, like it kind of comes back to that, like if we have data, let's use data. If we have opinions, we'll use mine. Like you've got data now. You've got your plan, you know? Like every time someone says, can we hire? Can I do this? Can I do that? You're like, what does the model say? Yeah. <laughs> and it just drives that. It actually drives that decision-making down into your org, which is where you want it to be rather than like stuff coming up at you that you don't have an answer to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think to the second point that you made earlier too, just right about how um, we can do a little bit more uh, bartering or trading with your kind of your peer yeah. set. Right. I mean, I think um, I agree with that too. I, I mean, I think the challenge always sits, you know, it's kind of that um, for the most part, right. Each team is still thinking about their team 
Um, and it's yeah. really hard to change that mindset, right? I mean, I think we're going to s- subscription businesses. It's going to be the predominant model probably going forward, right? It's going to become more and more. And the whole idea around the, the subscription model is that, you know, we need to keep customers for a longer period of time. Essentially, we're not going to get the, the dollar up front. We're going to get the dollar over a 10-year period, whatever that is. And so if that that's the case, then we need to flip the thinking from, hey, I need resources in my department to do X as into, hey, what's... I'm a leader in the organization and whether the, the person's getting added to my team or another team, we need to make sure and keep this customer for 10 years. So what's going to keep the customer for 10 years? We need that plan and we need to be thinking in that way. Um, and yeah. then kind of the underlying piece is going back to kind of your, your finance counterpart, right? Is can we actually develop a model and a plan that is a little bit more um, across team where we can actually look and say, oh, I actually can look into the implementation team and say, you know what? Like I see you guys are operating and looking at the, the business metrics, looking at the people headcount, right? looks like you guys are actually good. Like you said, you have somebody slated in June. Oh my gosh, we're running behind over here in uh, support or professional services. And, you know, we really could use that headcount over here. All right, cool. Let's, let's move that over. Right. But I think, um, I think as a leader, again, you know, uh, it's hard, right? Because you're you essentially have um again, I'll credit Jay. He has a saying, right? He says, um, you kind of have two teams that you belong to. Um, the first team that you belong to and where the priority is is to the business, right? It's actually to your uh, kind of peer set. That's where it goes first. Then it's to your actual team. Because if you're if you're kind of going to that first point, right, you're you're actually looking at making decisions and you're trying to um have debates and make decisions that are across the organization a lot more horizontally uh, than just thinking about what you need on your team. And so I, I continue to think about that a lot. And your point about um, how do you start cultivating that type of environment where you're, where you're um, debating, bartering, just more, I, I always call it good conflict, but like, I feel like we need a little bit more yeah. good conflict because I think people kind of shy away from that sometimes. Yeah. And maybe like, as a quick tip to folks out there maybe listening. I think the, the sentence that gets you into that conflict in a healthy way is like, I have a proposal <laughs> and I think a lot of folks like it, it's a really important word like proposal right like because you're you're actually inviting adjustment you're inviting dialogue you're inviting like you know you're not saying I need this which is kind of like well it's kind of on the offensive and you're like well I don't want to give you that you're <laughs> yeah. kind of saying, well here's my proposal you know Jeff what do you think like what if we did this and this and it's shaped like this right and like and then rather than saying, like, what do you think? Maybe saying, like, what's your reaction to that proposal? What are your questions? You know, this is kind of like holacracy kind of like um, flow. You don't need to be a fully holocratic or cell phone dog to do it. But just I think those questions are really valuable. And often that's, you know, between peers in particular, it just helps you shape those proposals. And then you can go, cool, well, if we do this, are you in agreement? And then you're golden, you know, and then yeah, I think it does take some level of like most orgs, like sort of approval or final sort of, you know, veto is there somewhere often. But yeah, as a leader, I guess I'm, I, I love my team coming to me with those kinds of like forward looking solutions that they've come to themselves. And I very rarely would get in the way of those things, you know, so it, um, yeah. What's your proposal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that though. Because um, it, too, it, I mean, the the whole thing inside of an organization, right, is the how are you kind of using um, persuasion? Might not be the right word, right? But like, you have to present things in a way, and you have to use um, you have to use and look at the way that you're moving around the organization. Because at the end of the day, 
you know, companies aren't run just by systems and, you know, um, a ton of inputs. If it was that, then there wouldn't be any um, risk involved. There wouldn't be any choice, right? It would just kind of be, you know, fully done and automated. I mean, but yeah, since there are yeah. humans involved, like we have to go think about uh, that component of it, right? We need to um, bring choices, bring discussion and, and bring kind of this persuasion to the to the art of the the business side to say, hey, um, how are we making sure that we're we're looking at this and making decisions um, together? And uh, I couldn't couldn't agree more though. I think it's a good good call out. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Thank you. Uh, well, I know we've we've uh, got maybe another minute or two, and maybe one one other question or one thing that I'm thinking about. Um, you know, that we've been kind of talking about a little bit here and there, but I'm curious if if you've um, had to think about this as well as this whole idea just around the um we've kind of talked about it but right you've got kind of multiple teams where's the biggest bang for your buck um and so how you know for you like what's that process like when you're looking at um again kind of you know if you've got kind of purview over multiple teams and you're kind of looking at this um how are you kind of evaluating or looking at that right is it um is it kind of the model like we talked about earlier and are you looking for kind of business metrics alongside of that to say okay what's the what's happening today versus what's the model, what was the model? Uh, but how do you kind of look at where the biggest bang for your buck can be? Yeah, I think one of the things I didn't do well um, as like a senior leader where you've got like, I, I don't know, like I'm using all these labels to describe myself, but like one of the things I didn't do well with a, as a leader with multiple teams, right, where you do have to start balancing that. You're not just asking what's my team, what do I need to do to get my team better, but you're asking what do I need to do to help all of these teams succeed? The thing I didn't do well was really have a clear idea of what good looked like across all of those teams for, for a lot for a while, you know. And I would candidly say I'm still working on getting better at that. But I think that's exactly what you're asking for there. It's kind of like you have you do have to get into the weeds with your folks and get down to as like sort of as as um. I want to say like frontline, but you really have to understand what the customer is asking for and what they want and what they need and maybe what they're not asking for that they, you really should give them. Like you gave a great example before, right? Of like, we want this customer to be a 10-year customer. What's it got to look like to get that customer to be a 10-year customer? And I think just having a clear idea of what that needs to look like kind of when it's when it's engaging with the customer, but then pulling that out into those business metrics and into a model that's the key thing that now I look at. And so we have those now we set, you know, it takes me a lot of work because I'm not great at it, frankly, but like we work through that and I, I get with the team around me that are kind of like closer to that. And I, I just, we just keep asking like, what does good look like? What does good look like? What does good look like? And then we learn. There's a great example I'd share like at CompuSoft again, um, we, we did that work with the model, but it was preceded by us actually really, underserving our customers on the phone. So CompuSoft support is like mostly phone support, um, but we are very localized in, you know, France, Germany, the Nordics, um, Spain, as well as in, you know, the United Kingdom. And um, we, like, frankly, we were just missing a bunch of calls. We had a bunch of calls that were getting abandoned, which means the customer's not even speaking to someone on yep. the phone. So we set ourselves a, like a metric for that. We are like, okay, we want like the number to be this number. And then we kind of like got that out there and we did, we were doing it in sort of our bigger markets, Germany, France, and the UK, and each team was kind of doing it a bit differently. And we got the number down to that number. And then we kind of like went, hey, great, we got to what good looks like. And then we we 
extracted all of the data out of the system. We did something that we hadn't done yet that we probably should have done earlier, but we had. And I think it was that we did a data dump of all of the raw, raw call data. And we saw there were all these other calls that we were missing that we just weren't even aware of. So we we're like, oh my God, this is terrible. Like, because we were still hearing, we were hearing that customers were not happy still. So we were like, well, we're hitting our, <laughs> we're hitting our what good looks like. Customers are telling us this is not good. So there's obviously a disconnect. We went looking and we found like that there were just more calls that were being missed. So we set the, you know, so first of all, we like changed how we looked at the data. That was one. But then two, we also like drew the line even lower and we just said, we want none. Like <laughs> good yeah. looks like not a single call has been missed in a day. You know, a customer calls us, we've done. It. I just want to, I, don't, I just wanted to see like, could we get to a point where we got to that level of like um, delivery and I'm really pleased that the team did an amazing job and we now have like zero days, kind of like perfect games in baseball, I guess. Like we have zero days pretty frequently now. Um, and I think that's sort of like an example of where we just, it's just that dance between like what's possible, what are we hearing from customers, what data do we have that can help us understand this, and then kind of like just iterating through that a bunch until you get to a point where you feel like, okay, now I think, you know, we're not hearing any more complaints. Our CSAT now is through the roof. Like, great, this is what good looks like. And then then you can kind of then balance that with your economic model and kind of say, okay, now we <laughs> now that's what the line, now that's where the bar is. Are we pulling people in that way to keep that bar high? And um, you don't have, it sounds really good when I say it. It felt really messy for like all of that process. And I would love you to believe that we were just like these scientists in a lab kind of perfectly tuning these dials. It did not look like that. It feels awful. You're like discovering data that would tell you that like stuff's not going well. You're hearing escalations and trouble from customers. Like it's not a, it's not a pretty picture, you know, but like I would take that experience again in a heartbeat because you just, you're in it together as a team, you learn what good looks like, and then you kind of like have that lesson and you set the bar and then, built to it so yeah uh, one one thing i I like that you've uh, kept saying over and over is kind of setting the bar and and, you know trying to hit it trying to move forward that and um one of the things that i think about quite often right is um it was another jeff bezos quote right where he said um i want to try and like for him it was he was all about you know i wake up at 10 a.m and I'm, i'm basically trying to minimize the amount of decisions i make throughout the day because I want those to be really impactful decisions. Um, But the other thing that I kind of got as he was talking and and, um, one thing that I keep hearing kind of echoed, and I think what you're saying too, right, is like the like we're making a decision or like as a leader, right, you're, you're going to be charged making decisions. Like you said, if you're overseeing multiple teams, like you said in, in the past, you've kind of struggled with that and you've, you've figured out, right. How do I get the right pieces and the right elements? Right. But I also think like what, what tends to happen is people have this fear of making a decision and then having kind of a failure. And yeah. what I think tends to happen most often, right. Is it's not, I mean, you can't really necessarily look at it as a failure. It's like, Hey, I made this decision in this moment of time with this data, this information. Yeah. Um, and when you go back and look at it, instead of looking at it as a failure, it's kind of like, Hey, would I have made that same decision again with the information that I had at that time? And then, yeah. you know, kind of understanding what, what's that context and then understanding the new context, which is okay we made that decision at that time with that information. Now we're at this moment in time, we have 
new information plus the old information. So can I make a better decision now? And it's yeah. really a series of like learning how to become a better decision maker as you go forward in your career, because yeah. you're, you're starting to understand how those decisions ahead of you or how those decisions behind you impacted where you are today. And then what information you need to make a, a decision going forward. But it's just, again, I think you always kind of have those series of decisions that you're trying to make. And um, I think people sometimes just get rooted in the idea of, of failure, but I think listening to you talk, right. You're always, you've kind of throughout this mentioned several times, okay, we're just trying to, to figure out what's the mark that we're trying to reach and can we reach it? You know, and, and if we can't, then, okay, great. We made it here, but then how do we, how do we reach that maybe in the future then? So how do we keep kind of pushing? So I, I just like that mindset that you've kind of put there. Yeah, no, totally. I think as you're doing it, right. Like, you know, I, you kind of used um, this word earlier about like pitching for resources. And I think that like, I know how that word gets used and it's probably like the right word, but I think if you're doing this stuff right, you're never pitching. You're just constantly keeping like people in the loop about what you're finding, what you're learning about your business, your model, you know, what's working, what's not. And then, you know, David Tombre, who's the CEO at CompuSoft, was like an amazing partner through that process, you know, like he, he could have gone one way and go like, man, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> like we keep resetting the bar. But he he knew and understood, like, I know what it's going to feel like when it, when our customers are back to that like level of service that we give them. And so like, let's keep going through this. And it was just, and so, you know, it's just a constant conversation and a constant kind of like agreement on like um, a constant sharing of what you're learning, you know? And I think when you're doing that and you're trying to operate in that way, every, every leader, you know, anywhere in the organization, any person in an organization is going to relish you having a better understanding of your data and like of the business itself. And so, you know, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crucial thing if you can kind of get into that cadence of just like constantly sharing what you're learning, you know? Yeah. Um, well, this was cool. I, I've enjoyed this. You know, we talked a little bit about finance, and then we got into a lot of just leadership, um, you know, and how to think about just being a, a leader inside of a company, which uh, I think was just a good little evolution. I think people always, always like to hear that stuff. Um, so Steve, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, I think we had a, a nice conversation kind of weaving from, you know, how do you think about staffing and resources and, and answering some of the questions, thinking about models, becoming partners with finance, and then really getting into, um, you know, just some of the, the aspects of becoming a leader and thinking about how, how am I making decisions with the data and, and the information at hand? Uh, if people want to find more of you, uh, is it LinkedIn? Is it Twitter? Uh, do you have your own blog that you write on? Is it at CompuSoft? You know, where this is your your minute uh, to shine of uh, where, to, where to let people come find you and, and uh, you know, try and get more of the stuff that you're sharing. Yeah. No, thanks, Jeff. It's been, it's been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, this is kind of the stuff I geek out on. So hopefully it's been useful. Um, so yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's the best place nowadays. I have all of those other things. You will, you will find an old blog out there if you go looking. Uh, you will find a Twitter account that has been uh, unfortunately sort of like shuttered or turned off a little bit. But um, LinkedIn is the place. So I think just my name is my is the is the URL Steve Hyphen Hopkins I think. And uh, yeah, come and find me. Come say hello. Uh, we're going to be hiring at CompuSoft a bunch <laughs> as we've been talking about this. So uh, you know, keep an eye out for that if you're interested in learning more. And would love to talk to you or anyone else out there in the community. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get this out here soon and, uh, make sure people come find you, but appreciate the time today and hope you, uh, hope you get to go enjoy your weekend now after, uh, after recording this. Yeah. Thanks. You too, Jeff. Enjoy your weekend and, uh, holidays when they come and yeah, I look forward to chatting to you again. Awesome. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.